Inspiration now in session. Inspire God's people. You are going to get stop saying what you gonna do till you do what you said. When you opened that Bible, you knew what you read. You felt it deep in your soul. The promise will not expire. Be inspired. Stop saying what you gonna do till you do what you said. When you opened that Bible, you knew what you read. What's up, people? I am your host, Jay Will, and I would like to welcome you to Inspire God's People, where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. It's been a while, I know it, you know what I'm saying? We took like a three or four week um, unexpected break, you know what I mean, from the show, if I'm being real. So hopefully you got an opportunity to check, uh, I can talk, to catch up. We got like 170 some episodes, so if you're a new listener, I should start with that. I typically advise new listeners to listen to the episode now, but in parallel, go back and start at episode one, because we laid a lot of foundation for a lot of the conversations that we have had in the, in the future or in the past now, but is the future from where we started? You following me. Um, and I think that's important. Our foundation and fundamentals haven't changed, and um, yeah, we like to talk freely and we get guests on here, and shout out to all the guests we've had. You can go back and listen to all type of conversations with people who've been shot, been in the trap house, been drugged out, and all have found their way back to Christ or never lost Christ, and Christ just kept them through their situation. We talked to CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, artists, all type of people on this show. So welcome to Inspire Guys, people. We are growing you know what I mean we're I'm in a new studio space so feeling good about that this is my first time talking to y'all from the new studio I'm trying to make sure you know when you change a space you gotta like relive in it and experience it to make the tweaks and things so still making some upgrades but I'm about to start back getting into the YouTube videos I'm committed to the YouTube videos in 22 and building um an audience there that we just started and it's probably me you and your auntie um, are the only subscribers now, but we gonna grow that, and when y'all see the new space, I think y'all gonna like it. Well, look, today's a compelling conversation. Um, I'm telling y'all something new that I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start doing. I actually started doing it already, but I'm telling y'all I'm doing it. We gonna start doing some Marvel credits. You know that I mean you gotta listen to the end, even listen to the the outro song, and I might have some additional nuggets. You know what I mean? Waiting for you when you get there. So I um, you know what I mean? I urge you to listen for that. I'm not going to do a long drawn out uh, intro today because I've, you know, I've been away for a minute, but just know that, you know, when you're away like this show, we don't fake it. This is life changing content. And one of the reasons that we're able to do that is because I genuinely believe in living out life. Like we're not just coming here um, being theoretical. Uh, we're talking to experienced individuals. Um, also myself, obviously being experienced, a uh, corporate businessman and having these entrepreneurial efforts that and, and endeavors. Um, I like to live out life, and that's where the content comes from. So just know that in these last three or four weeks, I've lived out some life. So that means I got some amazing things to share. LaToya, Lavelle, they're going to be back on the show real soon. So um, in the meantime, we coming back, you know, heavy hitting. You know, I got Montel Jordan. I think this is a compelling conversation. I think me and Montel actually, because uh, this conversation happened a couple of days ago, I actually think we touched on some things that have to be episodes themselves. You know what I mean? Like, just because some of the, the things that we we cover are so in-depth that we, you know, couldn't go down a rabbit hole 
in our conversation, it would have veered off too much. And there was a lot more that I wanted to kick it with him about anyway, um, just because there were so many things to discuss. I think you're going to get some things from this. I think it's going to make you think. I think it's going to make you think. Let's just use the word think a million times. And, uh, I, of course, I want you to hit me up and tell me what you think about it. Music at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at Mr. Underscore Bellwether. That's at sign M-R underscore B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R. Again, Bellwether, like B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R. Not weather like the weatherman or the weather outside. People like to add an A in weather. What else I got? I think that's it with the announcements and stuff. We're not going to draw this out. Y'all know what it is. We are on our way to a good time. Oh, you know what? I got to do this because my tail is actually going to be in the Metro Detroit area this week. Friday, May 20th. You know what I'm saying? At the Prevailing Church with Pastor Rick Sykes, my guy. We interview him, you know what I'm saying, um, to talk about his outreach program, Don't Engage in Road Race. So go and check out that episode with him. But at the Prevailing Church, 27800 Annapolis Avenue in Inkster, Michigan, this Friday, uh, what is it, 6 p.m., uh, Montel and Kristen Jordan, Kristen, Kristen, I can talk, marriage and family night at the Prevailing Church. Check them out, man. All right, now let's get into the interview. You know what I'm saying? But I, I had to say that. That was right, right? I had to do that. And we made it easy for you. All the information for the event, the link and all that will be in the description of the show. So check that out. You know, you should be looking in the description anyway. Let me interview you. Here's what we going do. You gonna talk to me and I'm gonna talk to you. Maybe on the phone or possibly in person. Either way it goes, we gonna be talking purpose. And today, man, you know, I got somebody on the line with me that you, you, I don't know, you might know him as a, as an R&B singer and you might know him as a pastor. That's like, that's range right there. Like depending on, you know what I'm saying? Where you at in your life. Um, Mr. Montel Jordan, how you doing today, my brother? Jay Will, I am fantastic. How are you, my friend? Listen, man, I'm doing really well. It's, if I'm being honest with you, it's been a lot going on this year, but all good. Just a lot of transition. God's been doing a lot. I'm in, in a new space right now and just trying to get comfortable. But, you know, we about to make it happen. I'm, I'm really excited to be talking to you, man. So we're going to learn a lot about you and your life. Um, before we, you know, get into all the stuff that, like, what you're doing now and, you know, all the things that we might have get some behind the scenes or something. I'm going to get something out of you, something good that's going to help and inspire the people. But I do want to know, Montel, like, who were you growing up? Like, if we could start with, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know you're from South Central L.A. Um, yeah. I don't know a lot about South Central other than what I see on TV, you know, typical stuff, gangs and all that. So can you tell us a little bit about just, like, how your neighborhood, your community shaped you? Um, and also, like, what was your reputation growing up? You know, like, did people expect you to be, like, you know, a smooth R&B singer in the 90s, or was that catching everybody off guard? Well, um, those two, I think those two questions in one right there, because the smooth R&B singer dude didn't come until much later in life. But as far as my my earlier years of growing up, I think there's some pretty good depictions uh, that you would get from the the stories that N.W.A. told and uh, the the picture that John Singleton uh, painted with boys in the hood. All of that yeah. was very, very authentically done, uh, you know, for the culture and for people to be able to know that's what's 
South Central LA look like? Um, whereas New York kind of goes up, uh, LA goes out. And so everything is kind of sanctioned off by blocks and neighborhoods. And so that's why, you know, when people say, oh, when you go to L.A., you got to make sure you know what colors you wear in whatever neighborhood. Yeah. Literally because everything is so spread out that if you happen to be going to one particular area, um, it's the same way that there's redlining in different cities. Uh, it's almost like red and blue lining uh, throughout uh, Los Angeles. So uh, but that is that is where I grew up. Uh, I did have a mom and a dad at home. Uh, which was the thing that curtailed my gang activity was the the fact that I had a a dad who was at home who I feared more than I feared uh, any gang. <laughs> I so that. I grew up what would be known as affiliated, meaning I was around it, but I was not actually in it, but close enough to it to be able to know a lot about it and and be close enough to it to to understand. Uh, a lot of what it would, you know, what it what it was to be in that in that life, uh, but I never tried to play a gangster. I, I I never tried to play anything other than who I was, and, and I was a storyteller. So I basically would document what life was like in South Central LA, and try and bring it to the masses for them to get a glimpse of what they thought the hood looked like, but all the negativity that people would see, I wanted to give them the positivity that was in the hood as well. So that's the dichotomy of listening to a song like this is how we do it because it's full of, uh, uh, it's full of different pieces where I'll say I reach for my 40 and I turn it up, but a designated driver take the keys to my truck. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, I'm talking about drinking back then, but then on the other hand, I'm saying, but if you're going to drink, do it responsibly. Right. You know, I make a, a statement that says all the gangbangers forgot about the drive-by. So on one hand, I'm recognizing gangbangers. But on the other hand, I'm recognizing that they were having such a good time that there was no killing that was taking place. So it was basically the life that I led walking a, a tightrope through South Central L.A. to try and get to college and try and get uh, to a, a place of substantial influence uh, from the neighborhood that allowed me to tell the stories from my hood, but to make it general population knowledge. That's the first part of the question. I was a, basically, I was a, a, a kid who grew up, I was tall, I was goofy. Um, <laughs> I had a jerry curl long Man. after I got it cut, <laughs> uh, not athletic. So I, I showed up to my, my high school in the 10th grade. Uh, couldn't play basketball, but I'm six four, and my last name is Jordan. So you can <laughs> imagine the drama that comes along with things like that. But yeah. uh, so to answer the second part of your question, uh, in regard to was I being groomed as kind of an R&B singer, smooth this or that? That didn't come until much, much later. Um, I literally was just a church kid, a musician. Uh, a guy that was trying to find a, a pathway uh, out of uh, lower middle class uh, when there was a middle class, uh, lower right. middle class, uh, South Central Los Angeles, and try and make a, a pathway to doing something uh, that uh, a lot of my families had not done up until that point. Yeah, you know what? That that last part right there, um, that that's a major thing. Like, 
trying to do something that's never been done before. And you captured like, you know, in, in that answer and what you just spoke to of like this dichotomy in a hood where we see all the negativity, you know what I mean? Um, but people don't see some of the good and there's a lot of good and a lot of good people, a lot of, you know, family and community, um, really a lot of what the fabric of the church is, is also layered in the hood. You know, me being from the east side of Detroit, um, there are a lot of similarities. Gangs weren't a big thing here, but, you know, pretty much the activities were the same. But to yeah. the point that, that you just made, right, it's, it's, it takes something, a, a certain type of person to want to become something that they had never seen before. Where, where did that right that thing come from? Like for you, um, because that's typically an exceptional person or a unique person, um, that, that understands and appreciates the things in the hood, but also still wants to elevate and, and go somewhere different. Like, where did that come from for you? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's a great question. And I think that, uh, something that you had, talked about just briefly right there in regard to the, you know, the, the negativity that's, that's seen. I, I think in every story, man, in, in every life and every story, every story, there is negativity and positive positivity all kind of rolled into one. And it all depends on what you focus on of what gets the attention. Right. So in other words, you know, if you want to go biblical, you know, you could just focus on Judas, <laughs> you know, and, and talk about what Judas did and how bad Judas was, how Judas was stealing, how he betrayed Jesus. And you talk about just Judas and you miss the story of the other 11. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of cool stuff that happened right. with the other 11. And Judas is a part of that story, but he's not the entirety of it. And so if I were to say, yeah, there were drive-by shootings in L.A., that's a real, real deal. Uh, my family and I, I remember as a kid growing up around the time that the Cosby show and the different world was on TV, my entire family would be in the living room sitting on the floor. Uh, we wouldn't sit on the couch. We would sit on the floor because yeah. in case of a drive-by shooting, nobody wanted to be sitting up on the couch. So we were closer to the ground on the floor. So someone would hear a story like that and they hear, oh, drive-by shootings in L.A., but I hear that story and I hear my whole family was seated around watching the Cosby show. You, yeah. you understand what I'm saying? This, yeah. Even in the negativity, there's always, you know, what I'm saying what what the enemy meant for evil, you know, God meant for good. And so I think that in looking at that, that was the template for my life being one who wanted to elevate but did not want to abandon where I was from. I wanted to tell the story of where I was from and I wanted to give a voice to voiceless people and, and not just the voiceless <clears throat> in South Central Los Angeles, but the voices in Compton and Watts and Brooklyn and Long Island and all over the, the, the place. Uh, this is how we do it. Just kind of became an anthem for whatever city or whatever hood you're from or whatever uh, eclectic background that you're from. Uh, if you're a yoga mom, this is how you do it. A soccer mom, you know, everybody has a way of doing something. And so somehow the song just was able to transcend the initial idea, which was to represent my neighborhood. Yeah. But it ultimately became a, a, an anthem to represent everybody's individual way of, of doing things. And so what a what a grateful 
how, how grateful am I to be able to have something like that that has lasted, you know, going on three decades? It's a very intriguing thing because, like you said, it, it, it takes something really unique to be able to capture the full essence of something, right? You talked about, like, the Bible. What I always say I love about the Bible is, like, the balance of it. Like, some people will say, oh, the Old Testament contradicts the New Testament. And I'm like, no, it's no different than, like, a quarter, like, heads and tails, like— you you need both right like it, it balances right. each other out um it doesn't contradict it it really does um you know when you look at you know the the need for Christ right and yeah. and where what he came for it really is full circle from um the old testament so in it, it, it's that that balance is is interesting to me because with this is how we do it in a most unique way, it captures all of that. And it's still like to this day, like I, I think I saw you like on a commercial with Shaq recently. Um, yeah. and, and I'm like, this song makes sense in every scenario. Like, and, and so what I want to ask you is, cause typically like if I'm guessing like something that unique, you can't do that on purpose. It has to be a level of surprise. So I, I want to tap in. If we can go back, like, do do you remember where the idea came from? How the creation, like, of that song came about? And, like, when did you know it was something? Like, when did you know or did you know that it was going to be what it is? Okay, well, another great question. Um, first of all, uh, it wasn't the song idea that came first. The, the idea first came about through the music. So I got to give a shout out to my mentor, Slick Rick. Um, I was in my college days, you know, uh, my cap alpha side days. Um, every party that I went to, um, the DJ is normally crafting a story. A good DJ, anyway. Yeah. He's, he's telling a story throughout the night. And so, in other words, there are certain songs that's not going to be played at nine o'clock at night <laughs> when, the, when the party don't close till two. Right. You know, and I know you got some saved folks that's listening to this right now and they're wondering about me being in the club. Listen, these was my BC days. It's these all were my, good. my <laughs> college days. And I'm, I'm, the man asked me a question. So I'm, right. I'm giving it. You, you good. You good. All right. Cool. So, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, when, when it was last call for alcohol and it's one o'clock in the morning, because he's been spinning for three and a half, four hours already. That's when his hot records, he would start to put into his, his final hour rotation. And, and uh, every single time, effortlessly, when a DJ would put on Slick Rick's children's story, the floor instantaneously shifted. There was like an energy mm. thing. I cannot explain it. There's a whole lot of, whole lot of big records. But that record, for whatever reason, when that record hit, I, it felt like the room was shaking to me. And so I used to say, long before I was ever even thinking of record deals and everything, back in, in you know, in in in, in college, I, I was saying to myself, if I ever get a chance to sing over that song, I'm gonna sing over that song. Wow. So I knew that the key or the magic behind whatever I was gonna sing was going to be that that song itself, the music, the track, the sampling of it, that's what was going to be a part of the magic. Now, the actual words of it, 
it was the last song I recorded on my very first album because wow. as I'm creating different songs, um, uh, as, as I'm creating different songs, uh, I didn't want to mess this one up. I knew it was special. And so I saved it for last. Uh, and once I had the chorus that was so simple that it seemed <laughs> like this can't be it. You know what I mean? It was just that, 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 yeah. that, 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 that you could have said anything right there, you know, but just the idea that, that a statement like that is yeah. to this day, you can cut on the TV and see, this is how we sonic. Uh, there, there's probably, uh, this is how we Heisman. Like there's, <laughs> I know I can, I could probably name you 15 this is how we some things that that people have used in their marketing campaigns that are currently out, you know, simply because it's such a, a catch all phrase yeah. that that somehow captured the attention of the world back in 1995 and, and made people feel good. And so I think the song isn't just the it isn't just what it is. I think it's attached to, to a piece of time that people recognize that this was a, a pretty decent time in the world. And so yeah. the song is associated with memories. I, I think um, uh, music is the soundtrack to our lives. It, it leads us back to good memories, to bad memories. It's really a form of time travel. So this is how we do it. it allows people to time travel. And it really came about. And let me say this, and I know I'm being long winded. No, right you're good. Here. You're good. This is good. You're good. Um, one of the reasons why the song was as successful as it was was because uh, there was probably close to uh, four or five hundred versions of the same song. What? Because I sang the song South Central does it like nobody does. But when my song is blowing up and I went to New York City, New York is not showing me no love. Why is ah. it New York record? Well, because he says South Central and because New York and L.A., you know, it ain't we not buddy buddy like that. Right. Playing no South Central record here. So I'm at the radio station and I'm like, well, can we record a version of the song that says New York does it like nobody does? <laughs> Heck yeah. So we go in and we record a different version of the song. I was a rap singer before I was an R&B singer. So I'm freestyling in the studio. And I could say, this is how we do it. It's Friday night. I feel all right. The party's with Wendy Williams. So I reached for the O's. You know what I mean? So wow. I didn't just do Williams' name in. I throw Funkmaster Flex name in. I throw New York City in. I throw Brooklyn in. Who is not going to play that record in New York City right. when I'm Brooklyn, Funk, Flex, Wendy Williams? And so, you know, they're playing that record now multiple times every hour on the hour. And then Washington, D.C. is like, yo, we heard Hot 97 got a a, a special remix of the song, you know, we got Donnie Simpson here and, and we got this person here. Can you do us a version? Sure. That's crazy. But in the studio with a producer right in the, in the studio, not the same way they do their little cuts and commercials. And, you know, this is how we do it. It's Friday night. I feel all right. The party's with Donnie Simpson. So, and so boom, Donnie's <laughs> not going to not play a record that got his name in it. Right. I went across the nation touring going to every radio station and cutting individualized remixes 
customized for each and every station so that they all had their own version of the song. And that was one of the reasons why the song was as successful as it was. That's epic. Like stuff like that. Again, you almost can't plan that. It just works. It reminds me of like, um, you know, the Detroit versus everybody. It's a guy here in Detroit um, named Tommy Walker. I don't know him personally, but I've, you know, I, I've seen his work. Obviously I have some Detroit versus everybody stuff, but you can yeah. go anywhere. And I mean, I've seen Chevy versus everybody. I've seen that licensed yeah. a million times. And, and again, because it captures kind of that balance of the hood that like us versus everyone mentality, but also in a unique way, it's also unifying. That's yeah. kind of how the song is. Like it is, it's, it's cool from that perspective. So all right, so cool. That I, I appreciate you sharing that. Those are things. Hopefully, um, I know a lot of people that's listening to this um, might know a lot about you, but I, I've never heard that some of what you said now. So I feel really good about where this is going. Um, so we got you in obviously 1995. You know, you're signed to Def Soul, Jeff, Def Jam Records. You you got this. Um, you got this number one single. Your your plat. I think that out al- that first album went platinum. Um, kind of like, it, I mean, kind of on top of the world. Can you talk a little bit about like just your entry into the music business? Like you talked about like wanting to go after something that nobody in your family or community had done or something you hadn't seen. Like, what is that? What was that process like a in starting to accomplish that? Um, but also B, if you could talk a little bit about like your roots were, you know, um, like you said, you were a church musician growing up in church and things like that. And, you know, my assumption and, you know, I've heard you talk about some of this is like, you know, that life in the music industry, obviously, especially in them early years, started pulling you away. Like, what was that like on, you know, if you could talk about some of the dynamics, like on one hand of like reaching this new level of success, um, you know, what can you share about that? But then also like, was there any part of you that was feeling like, you know, oh man, like I'm I'm getting away from my roots, whether it be in a church or as a church musician. Did you get any backlash and things like that? Well, I, I think, uh, and and I say this, I, I say this respectfully. The church has probably been the most, the the place where I have most received backlash, uh, and mm-hmm. and that that's just the reality. That that is yeah. that is is you know the the world is not saying ah oh, somebody coming from church again trying to, to steal our stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the world is the world, is, is where we live, is where the church functions in the world, but not of it, you know? And so I, I think any backlash that I have gotten has probably mostly come from uh, from that, that beautiful relationship of growing up uh, in church, of being a church kid, uh, of being committed uh, to... Uh, the gospel, but also understanding that, you know, my upbringing in church, I was a kid, I was a church musician. I played the piano. My boy, Chef Crawford played the organ. We were over the choirs. We were trying to create songs, but we were inundated with music and with uh, WWF before it was WWE. Hmm, I remember that. We was, it was a world of uh, Los Angeles Lakers and Showtime and we grew up wanting to be wrestlers and Hulk Hogan and we wanted to be Lakers and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like that was my time period. And when people would say, you know, you want to be, a, you're going to be a pastor one day. I'd be like, no, you missed it. That's, 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 we're not doing that. Right, you, you right. know, we're not going that route. And then also because it was at a period of time where 
pastors were under, well, I guess any period of time, but that one in particular, under high scrutiny of what a pastor drove or how a pastor dressed. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I had a pastor then growing up who didn't have expensive cars and things like that. He would have like old antique vintage type of cars, but he would have like five or six of them and fix them up. You know, these old buckets that now today will be worth probably hundreds of thousands exactly. of dollars. But because he didn't want to seem, you know, like uh, like he's pocketing or doing something with money, you know what I mean? He took the the money that he did get and, and was, you know, putting putting them into, you know, cars that he liked. And so, but I looked at that lifestyle and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want that. You know, if that's what being a pastor is. I, I don't know if I want that. And then I didn't know that God spoke through people either. I, you know, I thought, you know, you're waiting for that voice from, from heaven to come in and say, Monto, <laughs> you will preach the gospel. I, I never heard that. You know, yeah. and I, you know, I heard Sister Stubbs say, you know, boy, you know, you got a call on your life. You're going to preach one day. That was God. But I ain't know God talked through Sister Stubbs right. or Sister So I ain't know that. So literally, my journey of growing up in church was a challenge because I was uh, connected so very deeply to, uh, to 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 music, and I'm not talking about gospel music. Of course, I was connected to Commission and the Clark Sisters and the you know the the the, the Hawkins and you know the James Cleveland. Like I, I grew up listening to church music and doing those church songs. Uh, uh, but at the same breath, man, when I went to bed at night, I I was listening to Lionel Richie and Madonna and Phil Collins and the police and the 80s music for me inspired so much in me that the the challenge of the whole you can't do God's music and do the devil's music. And I'm thinking. I know the devil can stake claim to music, but the devil doesn't own music because the devil is not a creator. God is the creator, and the devil is an imitator. He can twist something, he can pervert mm. something. He he don't he don't create. He's he's not that good. Like he can only take what the creator does and flip it and try and make it something something different. And so when I would hear music. By the time I got to college, you know, and I'm now at this Church of Christ school out in Malibu, Pepperdine University. There's a funny story behind that, too. I'll tell that later if we have time. Yeah. But when I'm at Pepperdine, they're Church of Christ school. And, and Church of Christ at that time uh, was uh, no no music. Like, you use only your voices. You hmm. do not no instruments in church. There's no piano. There's no drums. You just use your voices. Acapella. Wow. It's all pitch perfect. You know what I'm saying? And so when they would hear that on the weekends, I would go into L.A. to be playing the piano for my church and for my choirs and stuff. I had people telling me that I was going to go to hell. I had Christians telling me I was going to hell because I was playing piano in a church. And they wow. were basically, you can play piano in the world. You can play piano in R&B, this and that. But in the church, the church doesn't have music. That was Old Testament. That's heavy. In New Testament. You said use your voice or what? And so they went die hard letter of the law to you can only use your voice. And if you're using an instrument in church, you can go to hell. And when I heard that, that did something in me 
that was saying, you're telling me the closest time that I can feel to God when I'm playing music is the thing that's going to send me to hell. Um, and then on the other side, I had the other Christian churches that would tell me, if you're listening to secular music, the devil's music, you're going to hell. So I got two different sides of Christianity telling me I'm on my way to hell and yeah. I'm a Christian. Right. Hard walk to try and to try and, you know, to, to try and take that pathway. I will. And so I can remember I had a moment to this day. My favorite album of all time is Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder, Intervisions. Mm -hmm. My favorite album of all time. <laughs> um, and I felt God in that album. And it's not a gospel album. It is not a mm -hmm. church. To this day, I feel God in that album. I would listen to that song as a child, and I would hear a man uh, in, a, in a song called Vision in My Mind. I would hear him saying, I'm not one who makes believe. I know that leaves are green. They only turn to brown when autumn comes around. I know just what I say. Today's not yesterday, and all things have an ending. But what I'd like to know is could a place like this exist so beautiful or do we have to find our wings and fly away to this vision in my mind? I'm listening to a blind man talking about leaves turning from green to brown and I'm feeling God in that. But people are telling me, nah, that's not God. That's the devil. So <laughs> that was when I had to make a, a difficult decision. Uh, to kind of not listen to what I thought people were saying and listen to for the voice of God that I felt was speaking to me uh, and be able to be confident in that and comfortable enough in that, that if the church uh, was going to say goodbye to me, uh, I wasn't per se going to say goodbye to the church, but I was going to allow them to think what they were going to think of me regardless. Now, wow. I'm going to pass it back to you, but I want to say this. The yeah. story I told is the story of so many of your favorite musical artists that they know God, they love God, they love Jesus, but the church has this vantage point of what holiness is. And I get being holy is being set apart. I understand. And I know some of the stuff that we sing, some of the stuff that we do does not glorify God. But I believe that on that journey to holiness. It's not an instantaneous, you holy now. It's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's the working out part that people don't allow you to work out in public. You have to work it out in private and then come to Jesus and let everybody know Jesus found you and everybody's cool with that. But when you try and work it out in public, man, it's a very, very difficult place for me or for any artist uh, to be through. Yeah, I mean, you like you you touched on a bunch of things that um, are probably full conversations in themselves. So I'm not I'm not going to jump into each one. But what I will say that's interesting, as I was kind of listening to you talk, I think what ends up happening, Montel, is like we forget people are human. Right. You know, like, I, I really think that's what it is. Now, again, this kind of goes back to. My perspective is like, this is where there is beauty and complexity, because I think we want to make every single thing in life like really black or really white. And on this show, like my listeners know, like I talk about like, you know, not being an extremist. I think it 
a lot of us in, in most areas of life, we have the, some weird internal desire just to be an extremist. And like you talked about the different dynamics of the two churches that you, that were talking to you. And the message was the same is that you were going to hell, but the reason was different. And to me, I think what ends up happening is we, we lose the ability to, to be complex and to understand like how to deal with people in different areas. And I do think, again, I do understand sometimes why it can be that way, especially, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the world today. We talking about the world in 1995 because today I don't, you know, we just in a whole different world. But but I I do think that last part you said about like, that's so many people's story. And, you know, part of like, you know, my position on things is like, Hey, like we have to be able to have conversation at the very least. Right. Like, we can't start with what we disagree with. Or I think sometimes like the church starts with the, you going to hell conversation before someone even understands like, what is hell? Why would I go there? And things like that. And so um, that's very interesting. I'm going to leave that at that. Cause I think you, you drops a lot of gems and and things that we can dive into. Um, But I think we'll actually cover them organically as the conversation progresses. So I do want to, Fast forward, but I do want just a a weird fun fact. I was doing some reading and I want to confirm if this is true or not, that you and Doug Christie were high school or college roommates. That is correct. Okay. So anybody out there that doesn't know Doug Christie, uh, former NBA player, played for the Sacramento Kings. He's actually someone that randomly I have the desire to have on this show one day because I remember when he was in the league that his wife used to always be with him. And it just never, I don't know, a, I don't know a lot about Doug Christie, but yeah. I know his wife used to be there, and that alone says something to me um, that there's a lot there, but um, how was that? Like, y'all, y'all college roommates, you going to be a music star, he goes on to the NBA. It must have been something in the water in Pepper, uh, what is it, <laughs> in Pepper Dine. Uh, maybe, maybe that not, no, uh, no instruments was working on some level, but, but how was that, man? Something. Yeah, Doug's a good guy. Uh, him and his wife are still friends to this day. I've watched him uh, do different things. I think right now he's probably the assistant head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, really, really good guy. In college days, uh, we were wild boys. And so <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to leave it at that. I, I, I was, uh, we, we, we both, they asked him what, what I was like in college, and they asked me what he was like in college. And I, I don't, I have blocked out all of those times. I'm not they, mad at you. Of, of, of honoring. It, it, so, it sounds like y'all, y'all have a, a nice agreement there. Like, hey, you out, you go out, don't be talking about me. I ain't going to talk about you. Um, no, that's cool. So, so let's, let's um, progress into like, and I appreciate you being so open and like sharing some of the raw truth. Right. And I think there's going to be a lot for people to think about. Um, through that. And again, that's what I always challenge, not just my listeners, but myself to think critically and to hear people out and understand. And I think there are some things we could take from um, some of your earlier years. But I do want to talk about like how you started to transition. So obviously, at some point, you know, um, you leave the music industry behind after. I mean, you've had a lot of success, not just performance songs, but a lot of the songs that you were part of producing or writing. Um, you had some cameos and movies. And then at some point you start transitioning 
um, in the early 2000s, I believe, into ministry. Can you talk a little bit about how you've gone through these dynamics and experienced some success? How does someone in your position start to make that transition into ministry? Um, well, I, I, we kind of touched on a little bit that I was, I knew that I was called into ministry um, from childhood because I would hear people tell me, you know, you're going to preach one day, but I just didn't know what that pathway would look like for me. Um, so my journey would become, uh, I was a guy that that understood at some point you're living a counterfeit lifestyle, uh, meaning the the acclaim, the fame, the the material possessions, all of the things that I was seemingly having, all of those things were counterfeit. Hmm. And when I say counterfeit, it simply means um, it, it simply means uh, we live lives making something seem like what it's not. In other words, uh, I'm trying to find the right way to, to explain this. Um, if, if you were to ask somebody if they want uh, a million counterfeit dollars or one real dollar, <laughs> um, that's a tough question for people because counterfeit money will spend. Right. Like if you're not familiar with counterfeit money, you could pass off counterfeit money and it'll spin and it'll spin so long as people haven't figured out it's counterfeit. Wow. But once you figure out it's counterfeit, that's when everything that was purchased or whatever, there's a reckoning that comes for it. And so the life that I lived of fame that was counterfeit and acclaim that was counterfeit and notoriety that's counterfeit and houses that are counterfeit and cars that are counterfeit, it was becoming accustomed to a life that was not real, but it was real to the people who saw it from the outside. And when they do that and you figure, well, counterfeit money will spend and I never had nothing anyway. So I might as well spend this and, and take the counterfeit, you know? Yeah. Um, at some point you get complacent in that space uh, until uh, you have to make reparations <laughs> For the counterfeit things that were spent. So, wow. in other words, I'm I'm sitting in a room right now with plaques that are all around the wall from "This Is How We Do It" and second album, more Nutty Professor soundtrack. Say, I'm I'm literally looking at all these plaques from years of accomplishment of songs, but I'm also knowing that uh, the deal that I had with Def Jam still has me over $3 million in debt to the label. And I've been off the label for almost 20 years. Wow. So it's kind of like, well, how is that possible that you could be still owe the label that much money? I made the label tons of multi-millions of tens of maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. How is it that I still owe money? Because there's a system there that is designed for not just me, but every artist and not just Def Jam, but, all labels pretty much it's designed as a system that a label is a label and they get a lion's share in, in order to keep an artist uh on a label to be where they need to be they, it, they a counterfeit lifestyle is put into play and you always have to take an accounting back for that counterfeit lifestyle 
Um, and so from that standpoint, I, I, I love Def Jam. I, I, I think that there's no such thing uh, as a bad deal. Uh, I, I think a deal is what you agree to. I agree with that. I, deal not, is- I didn't mean to cut you off. Like that is that is very powerful. Yeah, a, a deal is what you agree to. Uh, you can agree to a bad deal, or if you can't negotiate something, but but a deal is I say something and you say something, and we come into agreement. And even if I get the upper hand or you get the upper hand, but once you agree to it, that's a deal. <laughs> and so I agreed to it and so therefore i am where i am today with the acclaim and the notoriety of past hit records but yet the finance and the resources went other places uh, i think i'm veering off the original question that you asked me jay will it's but okay I, I i think just the the idea of the transition from uh that music that lifestyle that acclaim that uh, that um, the presumption of who I was or the presentation of who I was as an artist, I lost who I was as God's son. And so uh, people knew me, I, I call it spiritual schizophrenia, that there was a bunch of Montels. Like when I'm with my <laughs> mom, there's this Montel. When I'm doing a TV interview, there's this Montel. When I'm with my frat brothers, there's this Montel. When I'm in church, there's this Montel. There's a bunch of different Montels, and it's hard to keep up with all those personalities. And once I finally said, I don't want to live a counterfeit lifestyle anymore. I want the real. I want I want Jesus. And when I made that journey from that life into completely being sold out for Jesus, I basically exchanged multiple Montels for the Montel that God loved the most. Man. And so- that's that's who I became. And so the Montel you're talking to now on, the, on this podcast is the Montel that's going to be in church. It's the same Montel that's going to be on with Shaq. It's the same Montel that's going to be in front of 30,000 people at a I Love the 90s concert. I do not change now. I'm the Montel that God loves the most. And that's not counterfeit. That's authentic. And the way that you get from counterfeit to authentic is you have to hold enough things that are authentic so that you know what real feels like so that when you come across counterfeit, you recognize it. If you Jay, if you talk to anybody <laughs> at the bank, they'll tell you the way they know when they run across counterfeit money is because they handle so much real money. They handle so much of the real that if they their hands come across something that doesn't feel real, they recognize it instantaneously. And that's the life that I want to live. I want to live a life real with Jesus so that when I come across a person or a personality or a thing that doesn't feel authentic, I can recognize it and I can know it's not it's not of God because it's counterfeit. You know, like and that's not as easy as it sounds either. Like if we being real, you know what I'm saying? Because like me and my wife were having a conversation yesterday, actually. And we were just talking about like, you know, we're not the kind of people like we know a lot of people and for everybody out there listening, like I do have friends, I have family, like I'm not, you know, I'm not (laughs) trying to throw shade at nobody. But we also we me and my wife are not the kind of people to try to be be around too many people like I'm more, um, you know, quality over quantity. I don't need 100 friends. You know what I mean? 
And we were talking about like how, you know, when you're, you're younger, you got more friends and things like that. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, even when you're not thinking about it. Like, oh, you got a, fr- a lot of friends that, you know, people want to dress like this or spend their money doing this or that. And then you find yourself trying to keep up with that, you know, that that counterfeit. And I think sometimes in our community, we don't think about the pressure we put on each other because, you know, there we put such a high um, value on like things like being fresh, you know what I'm saying? Being fly, whatever, like, you know, swagged out, like whatever, whatever error, whatever you want to call it. Like we yeah. put a lot of value in that and not, not to go too far off, but like what ends up happening is you get people that look like they're successful. And I, I meet people like this sometimes um, because I think social media adds another layer where I need to look like I'm successful more than I need to be successful. And me and my wife made a, a decision 10, you know, about 10 years ago. And the listeners of this show know this, but, um, you know, we wanted to focus on the authenticity of like true success and really becoming something really growing, growing assets and things like that. And not just, you know, accumulating liabilities to please people. But the, the reason I said all of that is because when you talk about being that authentic version of yourself and touching enough real so that you know the fake. I'm saying that to say that I think people need to find a way to get around some other real people to your point. So, yeah. that can, so that the fake can stand out. And when you get around those authentic people, you it like you said, you come across that counterfeit and it's easy. And it ain't even no shade. It's just like, oh, I know this is a fake dollar. Like I ain't mad at it. Like I see right. what you're trying to do. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's fake. So yeah. um no, thank you for sharing that. I, I think you I, I think that that was really unique. That that was really unique. I love what you said too about this idea that there's no such thing as a bad deal because that's you. You you agreed to that. And and I think what that is, that's accountability. But that is also allows us to grow, to be like, all right, all right, Jay, I made a, you know, I'm t- if I made a bad business deal, and then I, I'm sure, right? Again, just looking at the fact I just saw you in a commercial with Shaq. I'm sure the the quote unquote bad business deal or the the one that you didn't come out and you weren't, um, you know, on top. It also gave you what you needed to actually, you know, come to terms with better business deals, you know, in the future. So there's always something we can learn. What I want to what I want to ask you about, Montel. So um, I listened to a couple of your sermons. Um, Mm -hmm. I watched a lot of videos of you and your wife, Kristen. Um, and, and what you all are doing. So I want to I want to talk about some of like, you know, what, what you do now. I'm going to throw out a couple of quotes um, just of, of some random things that you said and, and some sermons. This is more so not even a question, just so people can kind of hear some things and we'll build on this. Um, yeah. In, in one sermon, you said in order to build on salvation, we must resemble the one who saved us. Like that. And you were talking in Philippians about Jesus being of no reputation and things like that. That was just that was powerful. Um, Another one was we can find that our lives are broken when we don't know how to prioritize and put things in their proper order. And that Mm. leads me to what I want to ask you about. And I want to ask you about first things first. So you and your wife have um, done a lot of marriage ministry and, and we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit about a uh, marriage masterpiece uh, before we get out of here. But can you talk a little bit about first things first um, and this prioritizing and, and how for you, right? Because I know in your career, you used to say you were married to your, you were married to the music. 
But then, like, in this first things first, it flipped where, you know, you starting with God, spouse, children, ministry, family, friends, and then it ends with work and career. So can you just talk a little, tell the people a little bit about what first things first is and, and how that came into to place and, and, and kind of how that can help people um, and, and balance in their lives, um, you know, living for Christ? Yeah, for sure. Well, well, first things first. Uh, is basically what we call God's biblical order of priority. Uh, and that is, um, I hear people say all the time, yo, how do you balance your career and your marriage? How do you balance your kids and this? And what it shows me is that uh, people don't understand that everything was not meant to be balanced. Some mm. things were meant to be prioritized, Jay Will. Love it. Love In other it. words, you're trying to balance something, you're trying to give something equal value to something else. So why would I want to give my job or my career equal value to my children? Why, why would I want to say my wife and my job are on equal playing field? Man. Because that's not God's priority. I think we also have to understand the difference between opportunity and responsibility. I hmm. think that I, I I know people that will say, well, I would want to work on my marriage, but I got to work to do this because I have this opportunity to do this or that or the other. And I believe God gives us responsibilities and he gives us opportunities. And when we take care of our responsibility, he can give us more opportunity. Man. We neglect or we exchange our responsibility for an opportunity. He takes the responsibility and the opportunity away from us because you're not a good steward over what he gave you. So first things first, uh, or making the main thing the main thing, is basically uh, the principle of prioritizing over balancing. Because if I put things in their right space, then God can honor what I'm trying to do in making everything. Like this interview is happening at this time of night because we had to put our kid to bed. <laughs> like, like people yeah. don't know that, but it was like, yo, right at this time where you normally do it, sorry, but the kid is home from school and, yep. and we do work and we got to tuck her into bed and after dinner and everything. But at this time, you know, and that's when we free. You know what I'm saying? Makes and so, sense. It, why would I just say, okay, well, the baby can go to bed, you know, by herself. She can put us up to bed because I got this interview. That's not responsibility. I love I, that. I, I'm trying to level. I'm trying to place your amazing show and my daughter on the same playing field. Yo, there's this amazing story uh, where I think it's amazing where I had the opportunity to perform in front of a hundred thousand people at a concert called Celebrate Freedom. Uh, it was a traveling kind of contemporary Christian music concert. Radio stations would host it. And this one in Atlanta was going to have 100,000 people there. Uh, and they wanted me and uh, our church, Victory Church at the time, they wanted us to come and to perform right in the middle of the day. And I was like, well, I can't be there in the middle of the day because my it's a Saturday and my son has a football game right at 2 o'clock. I was like, can we go on early in the morning? Can you put us on at 11? No, nah, we can't put you on at 11 because this artist, this artist, this artist, we need you on at 2. I was like, well, can you put us on later? Can you put us on at like 
five or six because I can get back over. Nah, we can't do that because artists are flying in. They're the headliners and we can't do that. We need you on it too. And so I basically turned down the opportunity to minister the gospel in music to 100,000 people for my son's game. And people would say that, but that's ministry. That's a ministry opportunity to reach 100,000 souls. Why wouldn't you do that? It's because God gave me the opportunity for 100,000 souls, but he gave me responsibility for one. (laughs) And so I need to make sure that when my son is looking up in those stands, he sees his dad there. Even though those 100,000 may remember me, I need my son to be able to know my dad was there for me at that game. Now, the, the beautiful part of it is I chose my son. My son had a spectacular game. We went back to the concert after the evening. And then uh, third day uh, with Mac Powell and, and the group or whatever, they were the headliners. They knew I came back and they wanted me to perform with them as they headlined that night. So I still got to perform and I got a chance to do it with the headlining act because I knew the difference between honoring my responsibilities rather than exchanging them for opportunities. That's what first things first is. It's prioritizing over balancing. I literally believe, and I'm not, I'm not saying this lightly. I literally believe that that's life changing for somebody because knowing the difference between a responsibility and an opportunity, like there are so many people I talk to, like, and I'm gonna just give you on the most basic, I'm gonna keep it super basic. I've talked to, to dudes that I know that's like, Hey man, my, my wife won't support this or that. And I'm like, well, you know, what, what you got going on? Well, you know, this dude might be up playing, you know, PlayStation, you know, or whatever, or something like that. And, and I'm like, well, you know, I, I have this rule with my wife where, you know, I tell people, and my wife knows this. So I'm, I'm going to say this. I don't know if I ever said this publicly, but she, I've said it to her. So she knows like, here's the thing with me. It, it's kind of like, it, it's a formula for me where like, People like people that know me ask like, man, she support everything or you you can have a podcast. Montel, I did all type of stuff, music, whatever. My wife supported all. But I always tell people is like, that's what you see. What you don't see is that before I started that, I went to her and made sure she had everything she needed from me. Right. So it's like for me, before anybody see anything I might do, it's like, no, behind the scenes. Like we didn't went somewhere. I didn't took like we didn't. I didn't made sure she was all the way good before yeah. I even, you know, uh, when I just you know, do anything. So I, I think what you're talking about, man. I, I really, I hope like people really grab that, and 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 I, I'm sure that you know, you know, we my, now's a good time. I, I, there's so much we could get to, but I know we coming short on time. I do want you to talk a little bit about. Um, marriage masterpiece and and I know that that's probably a part of first things first but if you could talk a little bit about marriage masterpiece and also uh, masterpiece church and the things that you're doing now um, you know so that people can get more of this type of information that you're kind of giving us some gems on now for sure for sure well this is what we're up to now Uh, my wife and my wife Chris and I've been married for 28 years going on 28 years congrats Um, and thank you. Thank you. And and we know we're going to be together forever. We want to uh, help save a million marriages. And so we came up a couple of years ago with a curriculum, with a, uh, a 501c3 called Marriage Masterpiece. And part of what Marriage Masterpiece does is trying to get people to take divorce off the table. Uh, to do that, in efforts to do that, 
we formulated something called a Marriage Masterpiece Retreat Center. Uh, that's coming to a city near you, and it'll start out in California. Basically, a Marriage Masterpiece Retreat Center is where we are trying to help public marriages heal privately. When you look at uh, a Kanye and a uh, Kim Kardashian and you're watching that play out in the public eye, my wife and I for years have been helping couples behind the scenes so you don't see what's playing out in mm. public. You get to see nothing <laughs> because yeah. it's done in, in private where God does what he does and we're obedient to that. And it deals with therapy, it deals with uh, biblical guidance, all of those different things. Uh, we do that in three ways. We do it for couples with 911 situations, couples in 411 situations, and couples with 100% situations. That basically means if you're in a 911 situation, the divorce papers are drawn up, you've been separated for a certain amount of time. This is the last ditch effort. The, the camel's back has been broken. It's a wrap, but this is our last shot at if there's any hope, this is it. That's what we do for the 911 couples. We spend five days away in what's called an intensive with us and with therapists, and we try and help people get to a healthy place of trying to save their marriage. Then there's the 411 couples. The 411s, they're not as drastic as the 911. 411 is information. We keep bumping up against this. We keep circling back around this issue right here. We're good, but we want to get better. And so, uh, whereas the 911s need intensive, the 411s need retreat. And so, we put together a five day event, different style, still with therapists, curriculum, all of that, but it's built differently for couples to feel like they're getting a retreat and they're getting the info that they need to be better in their marriage. And then the 100% couples, it is what it is. We, we're not getting divorced. We're not arguing, but we just need to get away. And rather than just taking a regular vacation, we want to go and be with the Jordans. We want to relax. We want to have a fantastic time. We want to still grow our marriage. We want to get some fine tuning and enjoy the presence of God and the, the, the presence of the enjoyment of the world. Uh, and that is what is known as a getaway. So the Jordans do intensive. We do retreats. We do getaways and we do all of that in private, which is what Marriage Masterpiece and what Marriage Masterpiece Retreat Centers do. The flip side of that coin is Masterpiece Church. Masterpiece Church is launching October 30th, 2022. That is a church that my wife and I will be pastoring. The location is in Atlanta, Georgia, but it is a virtual church. It's a house church. Hmm. So what we are doing is we learned during the pandemic that churches were had these venues where when you couldn't meet in a church, they would go into their venues and create these services as though you're in the big church and send that message down into your phone or, hmm. or tape or record or stream that message down to your computer screen. We are not trying to create a big church service. We're trying to create an intimate from our living room to your living room type of service. We have conversations, we have meals, we have coffee, we have worship, and from our home to yours, we teach people how to turn their homes into sanctuaries because not everybody can go to church. Some people are physically unable. Some people are incarcerated. Some people uh, are health compromised. Some people after the pandemic said, I'm not going back to church. For whatever reason, you can have artists who can't go to a church simply because when they get there, people are like, well, you signed my Bible. And they can't just go in and get the word of God and worship freely. 
And so in those instances, hmm. Masterpiece Church is coming to be able to allow people who can't go to church. And this is not, we, we want people to be a part of the local church. But for those who can't and for those who won't, we will allow the gospel to meet them right where they are using the virtual platform and our influence to be a global church that will reach people all over the world right where they are. Masterpiece Church. I love it. And marriagemasterpiece.com. All of that information is going to be in the link of this show as well as your Instagram at Mr. Jordan 1911. Uh, Montel, man, um, really appreciate the conversation and the time to talk to you. Um, I've enjoyed kicking it with you. Um, you share some intriguing stories, dropped some gems, gave people something to think about. And I just appreciate um, the, the efforts that you're making in the body of Christ as well. And again, I've listened to some of your sermons um, and I really enjoy your speaking style and a lot of the things that you said. So, um, you know, I'll give you the last word to God's people. Um, but really, we appreciate, you know, you taking the time uh, to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Will. first of all, I, in closing this out, I appreciate your platform. I don't take it for granted. I'm honored you would ask me to be a part of it. Uh, looking forward to coming to Detroit soon. I think uh, I don't know when this will when this podcast will air, but I think uh, around May 20th we will be in Detroit, uh, hanging out with some good friends uh, there um, uh, at, at an amazing church, uh, and and can't wait to be able to get with Pastor Sykes over there and and do that. Um, I, I want to say, man, if I could leave you with anything, um, be the you that God loves the most. Uh, that's a place of peace, man, that if you can find out the, the, the you that God loves the most, um, that's a place that you cannot pay for. Uh, it is the authentic uh, you that God created you to be. And then you don't have to try and live uh, to no man's expectation, no woman's expectation. You literally are not working for God's grace. You're working from his grace. And that's the sweet spot of where I am and where I'm trying to stay and where I'm hoping other people have a desire to get to, to being the person that they are that God loves the most. Because I'm not the only one that has spiritual schizophrenia. Yeah. Most people have multiple personalities or they have different people that they are around uh, that you either become the company you keep or the company you keep becomes you. Uh, and I believe when you know who you are because you know whose you are, then people want to be more like you because you're more like Christ. That's all I got. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Be inspired. I can see beyond the tears you cry and the pain you feel. I saw every hill you had to climb just to make it here. When you say you ain't afraid to die, is it fake to fear? Is it safe to say you lie? You can be real with me. When you blame the haters, God made you. You're the reason you ain't made it. You're the reason you ain't made it. Take your focus off the fame. See the purpose that he gave you. Create to lift his name. Jesus. That's how we go from down and out to made new. I can see the newer you, the saved soul. It's deeper than the dollars in the pesos. The devil is still on attack. You gotta be quicker than that. Store the treasure in heaven. You can't be richer than that. I mean. Stop saying what you gonna do till you do what you do. 
Yo, so hopefully y'all enjoyed that interview. And I, I think, man, I, I don't know. I know he didn't been on all type of uh, platforms interviewing, but I think I got some stuff, some information out there, you know what I'm saying, that you're not going to find on Wikipedia. That was my goal, like, you know what I mean, to get, get um, some behind the scenes on some experiences. I do want to touch on a couple of things that I thought was interesting. Number one, for the people who've been rocking with this show for a long time, you you know you heard some things like that is dope because these are things and concepts that we talk about, and um, even just our last show as we talked about you know theoretical theory uh, opinion experience and those things, it was real cool to have someone with the experience you know and who has lived um, in some of these circles to share some of the things um, that he did. Um, so what I thought was interesting. Um, a, you know, he's been married for 28 years. So I think the dynamic of like being an R&B singer and a sex symbol and dealing with the labels and things like that and, and kind of having to hide his marriage. Um, I think that's really interesting how the dynamics of the work that him and his wife, Kristen, do now um, in their first things first, which is completely opposite of where they started when he was um, in that lifestyle, um, like fully um, trenched in it. So I thought that was interesting. So that I really like the first things first. That really goes into, man, I'm going to tell you, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days, like responsibility versus opportunity. And I, I think that's a life-changing concept and thing to think about as you, you know, just say like, because people are, losing track of prioritizing, like in the midst of like chasing dreams and all these things you want to be and all these ambitions, man, we have to be able to prioritize. And and again, that takes, like in this show, man, we're trying to exercise our minds, our brains, our spirits to critically think, to not just be followers, to be leaders, to be doers, not just talkers, um, not just hearers. And, um, you know, prioritization is one of those important things. Um, you got children and a family out here. You can't neglect those things. Like, kind of like I said, like, look, these last three to four weeks, I had to live life. So I had to, um, you know, focus on my responsibilities, um, even though, like, hey, inspire guys, people to do this podcast. It's a great opportunity that I don't take for granted, and I enjoy every second talking to y'all. But I can't get so engulfed in, oh, I got to do a show, or I got to do this, or I got to be here that I'm not living my real life. <laughs> like, like, I had a real life, you know, a wife, a family, people who need things from me. I was painting doors and, you know, moving spaces and, and all type of things have happened over the last month. And um, never mind the fact that I have a, you know, really important corporate job as well um, with a lot of responsibility. So I, I thought that was life-changing. We may actually do an entire episode, Responsibility uh, Versus Opportunity, I thought it was real cool. Um, he brought out something, man. Shout out to you, Montel, if you're listening to this part. You know, are you a Marvel credit listener? Let me know, bro. Like, did you listen this long or did you cut it off after your part was over? It's all good. I ain't going to judge you. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? We still love you over here. But, uh, you know, um, I think it was real interesting to bring out this dynamic of, like, the good in the hood. Like, Ty Tripp actually had a song back in the day called Good in the Hood. It was a dope song, by the way. Um 
But one thing about the hood, like if you're not from the hood, I know I got people that listen to this show that's from the hood and people that's not. And, that, you know, that's my culture, being from the inner city of Detroit. So, you know, that's we share that. I, I respect, you know, diversity of wherever you're from. But the, the hood is a unique place that on the outside looking in, you see all this negativity. And it's challenging to think through, honestly. And, like, I was just thinking about real life, my family. Like, you know, some of my family, for instance, go skating and, you know, uh, a skating rink, you know, they might be playing all type of songs or whatever, or just different things in the hood where on the surface it can look so bad. And I'm not saying there's not like maybe bad aspects to it. That's not what I'm trying to do. But it is very interesting to think of it in that way of like, you know, when people skating on a skate rink, like the songs may be talking about whatever or whatever, but it's like, there's a lot of joy and love in that. And even the pain and struggling in the hood, like you can be going through so much but, like, the hood man has this strong family value. That's really what I'm, especially the the old hood, like my grandma's hood. You know what I mean? I don't know what's happening today. I think the world in, in general is just changing. But back in grandma's day, man, it was a lot of love in that struggle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got a little loud saying that. My bad. But there was a lot of love in that struggle. I thought that was interesting how um, he talked about that. And then lastly, man, um, you know, it was really interesting and I think this really deserves a whole show. Um, the dynamic of like, um, you know, so many people out there that feel like the church is judgmental and what that does to people like that. I, I'm intrigued. You know, sometimes we call it church hurt. I don't know. I just certain titles just rub me the wrong way. I just don't like the title. The The sentiment may be true, but the title just throws me off. It's like love languages. Like my boy, Matt, always talking to us about love languages. I'm like, bro, you got to. Call it something else. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you, you might get me on board if you call it something else. I just don't. I don't like it. I'm sorry, whoever created that. You know what I mean? Shout out to you, I guess. Um, but the this dynamic, you know, people are hurt by the church, and man, again, I think that's worth a whole episode. I almost don't even want to share my thoughts. I just want you to know that I have thoughts. Maybe that's something that um, Montel wants to come back and talk on. Maybe that's something that me and Lavelle discuss, but. I think it's worth discussing because so many people are impacted by the church in different ways. And I think there's pros and cons on both ends. Like sometimes I think it's the people. Sometimes I think it's the church. Sometimes I think it's just the fact that we want to simplify things that are very complex and life is challenging. And the experiences that we have, not just with the church, but with all people um, who represent an organization can be challenging and can forever um, taint our view of that. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it's good to see people um, return to Christ. And um, hopefully um, this interview, just like many of the interviews we've done, man, like you're able to grab various things from the interview and think for yourself about how you feel about them. You know, my goal is to um, present opportunities and conversations and of course, we deep dive on a lot of things, but hopefully, you know, you're able to take something from all of these conversations we have and more that are coming and share those with me. Hit me up, Music at gmail.com. Also, hit me up on Instagram at Mr. underscore Bellweather, Mr. Bellweather. You can see all the links for this stuff. Like, if you just read the description of the show, I got links for, like, how to find my music, how to find our YouTube, which is, uh, we struggling, but we growing. We just started it, though. You know, we just started our YouTube and... I'm not consistent at all with videos, but it's coming, people. 
It's coming. We growing. And we trusting God. You feel what I'm saying? Listen, people. Seeds of faith grow trees of faith. Thank you for listening. You a real one if you listening this far into the episode. God bless you and love you. Let me know if you listened this far too. Y'all the ones I'm really, I'm I'm liking your posts. You know what I'm saying? I'm responding to your, your comments if you listening this far in. If not, you know what I mean? I could talk about you because you ain't listening anyway. Love y'all, man. Have an amazing day.